In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would all the kids and teens up through the 12th grade please come forward. How are you today? Did y'all just hear the gospel lesson that we, 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 Deacon Kathy read a while ago? What was it about? Anybody remember? What? Zacchaeus. Who was Zacchaeus? Ah, tax collector. Is that good or bad? Ooh, that's bad. What else was he? Tell me more about Zacchaeus, anybody? Yes. He was short, very short, right? So, yeah. What else? He was very rich. Very rich. And that's because he was not only a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. He was the boss. So, so he was a tax collector. He was rich. He was short. What else about Zacchaeus? Anything else? Greedy. Huh? Greedy. What? Greedy. Greedy. Yes, you could say that. I mean, the gospel doesn't say that, but you can assume that, right? Because he was a tax collector. He was very rich. And he was doing something that went against his own religion as a Jew, right? He was taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans. It was going to get done anyway, but, uh, but he did it. Yes, ma'am. Um, at the end of the story, he repented. At the end of the story. This is the important part, isn't it? At the end of the story, tell me the rest of the story. So Zacchaeus is rich, he's a chief tax collector, he's short, and what does he do because he's short? Anybody remember? He climbs where? A tree. On top of the house? No. In, up a tree. He's tying, he, he climbs up a tree. Why? To get the birds away? No. Why? To see Jesus. To see Jesus. So Jesus is coming by and there's all these crowds around and Zacchaeus is short and everybody else is up here. So he climbs a tree so he can see Jesus, right? And what does Jesus ask him to do? He said that he should come down the tree and that yeah. he's going to come to his house. Come down from that tree and we're coming to your house, Zacchaeus, right? Did anybody grumble about that? Yes. Who? Many people. Many people. Why? They didn't like Zacchaeus because he, because he was a tax collector. But Jesus went into his house anyway, and his disciples went, and they ate dinner, right? And what, and so you, what was the last part of the thing you said about Zacchaeus? The last part is that Zacchaeus said that he would give all, half of his money to the poor, and then he would give the poor. Why do, you think, why do you think Zacchaeus said he would give half of his money to the poor, and what, what else did you say, Judith? Oh, because he repented. How, why do you think he repented? Because what do you think happened in between? Uh, I think when he was rich and people uh, didn't like him, he started saying like, oh, this is so bad. Let me just give um, some poor people. So ah. 
Ah, so you think he was thinking to himself that when Jesus started speaking to him and received him, right, by going into his house, because no respectable Jewish person would go into a tax collector's house. Uh-uh-uh-uh. But Jesus did and the disciples did. And so Zacchaeus began to think, well, if I've been doing all this wrong, maybe I should give half of everything I have to the poor, right? And if I've, and if I've cheated anyone, I'll give them back what? Four times as much? Four times as much. You know what? Jesus, either it was just his presence that made Zacchaeus realize that, or Jesus' action of actually coming into Zacchaeus' house, or maybe Jesus said some things about Zacchaeus and helped him to change his mind. But whatever it was, what came to his house that day? Salvation. Meaning, because of what he did and what he said and what he would do, salvation was given to him by God, by Jesus, by God, right? So salvation became his because he said, I'm going to give to the poor and I'm going to give back to anyone I cheated. He repented, like you said. He, he turned around and he turned toward God. And I don't know what happened to Zacchaeus after that, but I think probably for the rest of his life, or at least for the rest, well, for the rest of his life, I bet he followed Jesus. I bet he did. Because that turned his whole life around. And it made a difference to a lot of people, didn't it? Especially the poor and those he mistreated. I wonder how everybody else thought about Zacchaeus after that. I wonder. The Romans? They probably weren't, well, I don't know. They might have been, if he, I, don't know if he, I don't know if he kept being a tax collector or not. Maybe he did, and, or maybe he didn't. If he didn't, then they found another one. If he did, then maybe he didn't cheat as much and take people's money as much as he, as he, as he did before. Because, yeah, just because. Yeah, I don't know. We can only guess on the rest of the story, right? Yeah, but I think he followed Jesus. Well, why was he picked to be a tax collector? He probably stepped forward and said, I want to be a tax collector. And they said, okay, you're hired. Because not many Jewish people wanted to because they knew that Jewish people didn't treat the tax collectors well. Good question, though. Thank you all. You all had good answers today. Wonderful answers. Thank you for coming up. Sing well. And... Um, if you want to get a packet from Mr. Music over there, you can. All right? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Can hear Ray anywhere. I already heard you go. <clears throat> so we're so close to Halloween. I thought I would tell a short joke, whatever it is. A man was walking home 
alone, late, one foggy Halloween night, when behind him he hears bump, bump, bump. He begins walking faster and he looks back and through the fog he makes out the image of this upright casket banging its way down the middle of the street toward him. Bump, bump, bump. Terrified, the man begins to run toward his home, casket bouncing quickly behind him. Bump, 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 bump. He runs up to his door, fumbles with the keys, opens the door, rushes in, slams and locks the door behind him. However, the casket crashes through his door with the lid of the casket clapping, clappity bump, clappity bump, clappity bump on his heels as the terrified man runs upstairs. Rushing to the bathroom upstairs, he locks himself in. His heart is pounding, his head is reeling, his breath is coming and sobbing gasps. With a loud crash, the casket breaks down the door, bumping and clapping toward him. The man screams and reaches for something, anything, but all he can find is a bottle of cough syrup and desperately he throws the cough syrup at the casket and all of a sudden the coffin stops. (laughs) Happy Halloween. Today, I want to spend some time telling a story that has a whole lot to do with stewardship. And you may be surprised that this story doesn't have a whole lot to do with money because stewardship is really about a whole lot more, as I've said many times, about a whole lot more than just money. But don't get me wrong. Our stewardship campaign for this time of year has a whole lot to do with money But stewardship in and of itself is not just about finances. It is about offering our lives, who we are, to the one who loves us the most. Before I begin this story, I want to make a couple of announcements regarding our campaign for 2023. Every one of you this week should be receiving a a stewardship letter and a pledge card that we will mail out regarding our operating budget. And then I want you to mark your calendars for two weeks from today, Sunday, November the 13th, when we will have our in-gathering pledge Sunday, where we all bring our cards back. I mean, or most of them, many of us anyway. And we will ask God's blessing over your, your pledges and your giving, your stewardship. And so begin saying your prayers about your financial response to this campaign. As you know, our future always depends on your giving. Now, there's a story about a man who is on a business trip. And this story shows us what stewardship really is all about by the way this man gives of his time, which at first was a very unwilling act. This story shows us that our great God can take an everyday event like riding on an airplane 
And when a person is open to, to an act of surrendering his or her will to God, God can use that surrender for his own glory and for the love of his own children. And I'll tell this story in the first person. I was on the aisle in a two-seat row, and across the aisle sat a businesswoman with her nose buried in a newspaper, no problem. But in the seat beside mine, next to the window, was a young boy wearing a big red tag around his neck, minor traveling unattended. The kid sat perfectly still, his hands in his laps, his eyes straight ahead. He'd probably been told never to talk to strangers. Good, I thought. And then the flight attendant came by and she said to the little boy, Michael, I have to go right over there and sit down because we're about to take off. This nice man next to you will answer any of your questions, okay? Did I have a choice? I offered my hand and Michael took it, shook it twice up and down. Hi, I'm Jerry. You must be about seven years old. He responded, I'll bet you don't have any kids. Why do you think that? Sure I do. And I took out my wallet to show him some pictures. The boy said, because I'm six. <laughs> oh, I was way off, huh? Captain's voice came over the speaker's flight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Michael pulled his seatbelt tighter, gripped the armrests as the jet engines roared. I leaned over and I said, right about now, I usually say a prayer and I ask God to keep the plane safe and I ask him to send his angels to protect us. He said, I'm in, but I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid because my mama's in heaven. I'm sorry, I said. Why are you sorry, he asked, peering out the window as the plane lifted off. I'm sorry you don't have your mama here. My briefcase jostled at my feet, reminding of all the work I needed to do. Look down at those boats, Michael said, as the plane banked over the Pacific. Where are they going? Just going sailing, having a good time. There's probably a fishing boat full of guys just like you and me. He asked, doing what? Just fishing, maybe for bass or tuna. Does your dad ever take you fishing? I don't have a dad, Michael sadly responded. Only six years old, and he didn't have a dad, and his mom had died, and here he was flying halfway across the country all by himself. The least I could do was to make sure he had a good flight. And with my foot, I pushed my briefcase under the seat. Do they have a bathroom here? He asked, squirming just a little. I said, sure, let me take you there. I showed him how to work the occupied sign on the door, what buttons to push for the sink. Then he closed the door. And when he came out, he wore a wet shirt and a huge smile. 
That sink shoots water everywhere. The attendants overheard and smiled. Michael got the VIP treatment from the crew during snack time. I took out my laptop and tried to work on a talk that I was about to give, but my mind kept going back to Michael. I couldn't stop looking at the crumpled grocery bag on the floor by his seat. He told me that everything he owned was in that bag. Poor kid. While Michael was getting a tour of the cockpit, the flight attendant told me his grandmother would pick him up in Chicago. In the seat pocket, a large manila envelope held all the paperwork regarding his custody. Michael came back explaining, I got wings, I got cards, I got more peanuts. I saw the pilot and he said I could come back anytime. And then for a while, Michael just stared at that manila envelope. And I asked, Michael, what are you thinking? He didn't answer. But he did bury his face in his hands and he just started sobbing. It had been years since I'd heard a little one cry like that. My kids were grown and still I don't think they ever cried that hard. And I rubbed his back and wondered where the flight attendant was. And I asked, what's the matter, buddy? And all I got were muffled words. I don't know my grandma. Mama didn't want her to come visit and see her sick. What if grandma doesn't want me? Where will I go? Michael, do you remember the Christmas story? Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Remember how they came to Bethlehem just before Jesus was born? It was late, it was cold, and they didn't have anywhere to stay. No family, no hotels, no, not even hospitals where babies could be born. Well, God was watching out for them. He found them a place to stay, a stable with animals. And Michael tugged on my sleeve. Wait, yes, I do. I know. I know Jesus. I remember now. Then he closed his eyes and he lifted his head and he began to sing. And his voice rang out with the strength that rocked his tiny frame. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Passengers, they turned or stood up to see the little boy who made such a large sound. Michael didn't even notice his audience with his eyes shut tight and his voice lifted high. He was in a good place. You got a great voice, I told him when he was done. I've never heard anyone sing like that before. Mama said, God gave me good pipes, just like my grandma's, he said. My grandma loves to sing. She sings in her church choir. Well, I bet you can sing there too. The two of you, you will be running that choir pretty soon. The seatbelt light came on as we approached the airport. The flight attendant came by and said that we have just a few minutes now, but she told Michael it's important that he put his seatbelt on. People started stirring in their seats like kids before the school bell rang. By the time the seatbelt sign went off, passengers were just rushing down the aisle. Michael and I, we stayed seated. He asked, are you going to go with me? I assured him I wouldn't miss it for the world, buddy.
Clutching his bag and the manila envelope in one hand, he grabbed my hand with the other, and the two of us followed the flight attendant down the jetway. All the noises of the airport seemed to fill the corridor. Michael, he stopped, and he flipped his hand from mine, and he dropped to his knees, and his mouth quivered, and his eyes just brimmed with tears. I asked, what's wrong, Michael? I'll carry you if you want. And he opened his mouth and he moved his lips, but it was as if his words were stuck in his throat. And when I knelt next to him, he grabbed my neck and I felt his warm, wet face as he whispered in my ear, I want my mama. And I tried to stand, but Michael squeezed my neck even harder. Then I heard a rattle of footsteps on the corridor's metal floor. Is that you, baby? I couldn't see the woman behind me, but I could hear the warmth in her voice. Oh, baby, she cries, come here. Grandma loves you so much. I need a hug, baby. Let go of that nice man. And she knelt beside Michael and me. Michael's grandma stroked his arm. I smelled a hint of orange blossoms. You've got folks waiting for you out there, Michael. Do you know that you're, you've got aunts and uncles and cousins? And she patted his skinny shoulders and started humming. And then she lifted her head and she sang. I wonder if the flight attendant told her what to sing or maybe she just knew what was right. Her strong, clear voice filled the passageway. Jesus loves me, this I know. Michael's gasps quieted. Still holding him, I rose, nodded hello to his grandma, watched her pick up the grocery bag, and right before we got to the doorway to the terminal, Michael loosened his grip around my neck and he reached out for his grandma. And as soon as she walked across the threshold with him, cheers erupted. From the size of the crowd, I figured family, friends, pastors, elders, choir members, most of their neighbors had come to meet Michael. A tall man tugged at Michael's ear, pulled off the red sign around his neck. It no longer applied. As I made my way to the gate for my connecting flight, I barely noticed the weight of my overstuffed briefcase and laptop And I started to wonder who would be in the seat next to mine this time. And I smiled. Stewardship is about how we live in relationship with God and with other people. And yes, even within our own church family. Stewardship is about giving sacrificially for the support and the growth of the kingdom of God on earth. It is about how we spend our time with God, with other people, with ourselves. It is about how we spend our money. Do we spend it doing what is selfish or do we spend it in imitation of the cross? Folks, God is doing great things in this place. You know that, I know that. And people all around are watching us because we shine bright in the love of God. 
and because we stand strong for the truth of the gospel. We are alive, we are fresh, and the Spirit of God has a tremendous plan for St. Timothy's. And so the task is at hand, and I pray that each of us will individually make the right choice, a choice and a sacrifice which yields praise to our great God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.